So welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood. And with me this evening is my good friend and co-host, Chad Metz. That's me. So Chad, tell me about the Suicide Squad, which is raking in money internationally and getting critical acclaim from the Warner Brothers people, from the from the paid-off, uh, you know, celebrity uh, reviewers there who everybody knows are paid off to love DC and not Marvel. That's that's the way this goes, right? That's the conspiracy theory. Um, so, Chad, tell me about this movie. Tell me about the reactions, and tell me about David Ayer dropping the mic on everybody and walking off stage. Okay, so I can't tell you about David Ayer because I didn't read everything he wrote, but I got I got the gist of it. So we'll come back to that. Duska's Suicide Squad. When I first saw the Rotten Tomatoes reveal, it was at. 98%. I'm looking at it right now. It's at 96. And uh, James Gunn tweeted out, I think that was the, the 98 was the highest of his career. I think this 96 is still the highest of his career. The buzz from the, the, the paid off people, as you say, they're not really paid off. I have to say that because some of you ain't gonna believe it, uh, is that this is, at the very least, this is a fun comic book movie. I've, I've seen the thoughts that this is DC's best movie, which I mean, I, I would not be shocked if that's the case. Uh, it seems to be a big win for DC. They needed one, you know, I, as I always say, they can't ever get right. They, they lucked into James Gunn. They let James Gunn do James Gunn things. And he did those things and stayed true to the characters as it seems. And you have a winning movie. Surprisingly, if you get a director that knows the stuff, is true to the stuff, and has fun with the stuff, you get a good movie. Who knew that that is a winning recipe? That's it's made me really excited to see this movie. I want to see if all of if it lives up to the stuff. I have faith in James Gunn. I, I think I'll enjoy it either way. But good for DC if that's the case. That's all. That's all great. To the David Ayer stuff. I don't know everything he said. I, I know he I know he he stood up for his movie once again and in doing so he still praised and was very kind to the suicide squad that follows. He was only just talking about his movie, but I think you've read it so you can tell me exactly what he said. But I don't think there's any shade on the suicide squad. It's just more of wanting his people to see what he did. So his his definitive text is basically this movie was deeply personal for me. It resonated on a deeply personal and intimate level. He talked about a lot of the stuff he's gone through as a human being, uh, you know, in terms of being molested and in terms of being in foster care and, and struggling to, to come through and join the Navy to reform himself. And that, that leading to how he wrote the script for training day, which brought him all the fame, like, he goes into detail about a lot of it, but the bombshell statement from him is literally, that is not my movie. There is no part of that that is my movie. I worked my rear end off and I had a, a stellar script that was deep and powerful and emotional and about going on these this journey with these characters. And there wasn't a damn radio needle, needle drop in any of it. It was just my movie. And then somewhere along the way, stuff happened. And I, and I, I blame Warner Brothers for that is essentially what he was saying. There is a he, he that that's essentially what the point of it was, you know, because 
this is being brought up because they're fans of Air's work. Pretty much since Zach got to do what Zach got to do in January uh, or in, in March, have been clamoring for Air to be allowed to do the same. Um, the thing is, though, like Harley Quinn, like um, uh, Marco Robbie has said she needs to take a break from playing Harley Quinn because she's been playing her for essentially three years straight now. Because between the, the first Suicide Squad in 2016 and then the Birds of Prey movie in 2018, 2019, and then this. So it's three straight movies that she's played Harley Quinn. She hasn't gone off and done any of her art house stuff in a while. So I, I understand her wanting to get away. But like Air Air is very much about like not my movie. Not one frame of that is me. And he and he he did it, I think, also in that statement. I think he also affirmed the uh trailer house rumor that the trailer mm-hmm. house was asked to do an edit of the movie. I still can't believe that. That is just wow. So, I mean, I don't blame the guy. I don't think it's going to lead to anything because I don't think that, like, you know, the suicide, that, that Suicide Squad that was released in 2016, I don't think it had the, it ever achieved the cultish status that Snyder's mysterious cut has because I don't think Air has been, Air hasn't been Zach. Zach no, is more yeah. than Air. Zach is more than happy to go out there and preach the good gospel of the Snyder cut and what he should be allowed to do and what he thought about characters and dropping concept art. Our air has not been that guy. Air has, has been for the most part diligent and respectful. And that's what you got to draw that line there. You, you can either be Zach or you can be uh Trank. And you got to straddle that line somewhere in the middle. And that's where air is. Um, air in the statement has a little bit of Trank, a little bit of Zach, but he blends the two together to still be respectful of James. And James was respectful of him on Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I just, we're never going to see the Snyder, the, the, the air cut because like, I just, there's not enough following for it as compared to, as, as compared to others. My concern now is what the hell happens when you get a movie with Polka Dot Man and, uh, Killer and uh, uh, what's his name? Killer Shark, King Shark, um, King Shark. You, you get a you get a movie with Polka Dot Man and King Shark, and what do you do about a sequel? Because <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the guy's kind of busy. He's going to go down to Atlanta in November and film two movies for your rival. I mean, who's to say that uh, either one of those two survived? I would. I'm going to guess one of those two doesn't. And if I had to put money on it, uh, I don't think it's the Polka Dots. But um, also towards the, the air thing, while I it sounds like he has a complete cut, which would make it easier for Warner Brothers if they ever want to put it out. At some point, Warner Brothers has to stop like negotiating with terrorists. Um, like you said, David Air is not Zack Snyder. Snyder was clearly actively egging this on. He was on but, a crusade. Yeah. For air, it's more like, this is my work that I just want people to see this work. And he kind of, he'll come pop in and say that now and then, and it goes away. Zach was like fueling the fire of all. Like, here's some money for some billboards. Yeah. (laughs) And, and you're right. It doesn't have the, the fans that Zach has. I would say the sycophants that Zach has, but the fact that it's actually complete. And they don't have to put any more money in. 
if they were to do it, I wouldn't be shocked. But again, at some point, they have to be like, I think you're, I, David Ayer, I think you're much more uh, amenable and less uh, cultish. But, yes. You're you're not going to Jim Jones's or, uh, or anything, but we just we we just dealt with Jim Jones. We can't let you do this now. So maybe in a couple of years, yeah, maybe. But right now, they they just can't do it. I mean, I can totally see if they get into a bind for content on HBO Max and they need something else to kind of big and flourish. Um, but like that movie is borderline unwatchable even on D- on TNT at three in the morning. It's not, it's not awesome. And it, Will Smith's phoning in, and, you know, heart, you know, Margot is the best part of that movie as, as she is in anything. The gyrating witch at the end, the whole CGI of it all, it's just not great. It, it's completely butchered. And the irony of them taking it over in reaction to Guardians, because they wanted to Guardianify it. And then you go and hire the guy who did Guardians to make your your re- redo. Um, it, it's just, I do feel bad for him in a way I feel differently from Trank. Trank's professional misstep, you know, the unfortunateness of, of going to set and then having your budget cut and all the things that happened with him caused or triggered the alcoholism and, and the personal downfall that led to some really low places for him as a person. And so I feel bad for Trank that Trank couldn't internalize it and process it in a more healthy way. Um, Do I think it's great for you to go on Twitter and say, I had a great version of this movie two years ago that you'll never see. I don't think that's necessarily the right way to go, but like, I feel like Air has dealt with this all along. Like, dude, he didn't come out when the movie when he was doing press for the movie, he wasn't bashing Warners. He, he, he took that, as he says in the note, I took high heat. I, I took deep personal, sometimes deeply personal attacks from people I didn't know on Twitter and other places over that. And I did it all with my mouth shut. And like, that's the difference between him and Trank. He, he didn't suffer a personal setback from it. It didn't put him in a professionally low place or a personal low place, but he also wasn't like flying the middle finger to the studio. He was just like, man, I really wish this wouldn't happen. Man, I really wish the world could see my movie. Man, I had a deeply personal connection to this thing, and I wish that my deeply personal art could be shared with the world. And that's the difference from you're going to put my thing on the streaming service or I'm going to release the hounds on you, you know? It's just two different ways of negotiating, basically. Yeah, and and if Warner Brothers had to choose, I'm sure they would choose the airway. But they gave into the cycle first. I'm sorry, not cycle. Zach is not a psycho. He is just a charismatic cult leader with a property that people really want to see only his vision for that I don't understand. But they just dealt with him. They gave into him. And I don't know how they really feel about what they got for that i i don't i don't know um but you can't do it again even though i think if you just put david if you put Ayers cut out that's it he's done and that you don't have to worry about potential 
sequels or anything else. No, Air just wants Air just wants it out, and then I think he's done, and we can all move on after we see it. That's not what Zach ever was. No, the continue the Snyderverse is now the new hashtag. So uh, that 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 hashtag has never died. But like, you know, as far as the social reaction to suicide, the Suicide Squad. I mean, what else did we expect at this particular moment in time? Um, did we not expect James Gunn to make a silly, fun, entertaining comic book movie that, you know, provides tons of comedy and action and is very violent and takes no prisoners? Did we really expect anything different? I mean, the guy made a whole segment on Movie 443 about a cat trying to kill Elizabeth Banks and Elizabeth Banks trying to kill the cat. And the cat driving a a Dodge Ram and shooting a shotgun and masturbating to its owner. Like, did we really expect anything different from that dude? I mean, this this isn't exactly Todd Phillips going from the hangover and, and road trip to, you know, the Joker. This is a guy who, like, this is the kind of goofy, oddball team that he's done, uh, you know, a lot a lot in the last 10 years. And he's a comic book nerd who understands the characters, likes bringing the oddball ones to the screen, and it seems like he's done really well with it, well enough that Warners was like, give us a Peacemaker series, Uh, because John Cena is an up-and-coming film star, and we wanted to go ahead and put him on the show. And, you know, James had the idea during quarantine, and so we're going to get more of James's version of this world in that way. I, I just... It doesn't surprise me at all that James Gunn made an awesome Suicide Squad movie. It just, what does that awesome Suicide Squad movie and James Gunn directing it mean? Like, where does that go? You know, it's kind of like, you know, the Snyder Cut. Okay, great, but we're not getting Zack Snyder's Justice League Part 2. You know, that's not going to, that's not a thing that's going to happen. It's like with the Batman, okay? Um it's great that Matt Reeves is getting to direct a Batman movie that looks really cool, but, you know, where's that going to lead? I mean, at least with Shazam, we know that we're leading to a Shazam and Black Adam tussle. Um, Flash is a Flashpoint movie and has been for years and is intended to kind of reboot and set everything up with the multiverse and and set up their their own version of how to deal with stuff. Where does it lead? And that's, that's kind of my thing with James, is James just made a an awesome one-off movie and an awesome one-off television series that's going to be really fun and inventive and beautiful and hilarious and people love it but are they going to get more of it and that's that's what's interesting to me it was not the 95 to 98 percent on rotten tomatoes does not surprise me uh and neither does the audience score for the green knight so i mean chad where where like what is what is the purpose uh, James Gunn's going to make a great movie and he's going to make a great TV series. Then what? Well, let's see. So Suicide Squad comes out this week. Peacemaker doesn't come out until January. And he's busy with Guardians until next... March or April. Yeah. Uh, if you put in the press, what it comes out in... What, in May? May of 22. So he's effectively done for June. May of May of 23, maybe, I want to say. Because uh, you can't shoot a movie in November of 21 and have it come out in May. That's of right. That's right. So it's in 23. But he'll be done with it sometime the middle part of next year. So 
he'll have time between that coming out, between them finishing and that coming out for him to, if he wants to do another uh, season of Peacemaker, if they, that's even possible, he can do that. Then Guardians comes out. Then he said it. He's done with Guardians after that. If Warner Brothers wants him back for another Suicide Squad, it'll be what twenty twenty three. So two years would have gone by. Maybe Margot Robbie's batteries are recharged. She's ready to get back into it, and then you can shoot another one and get it out for twenty. At that point, it'd be twenty five. Twenty four. You can you can shoot and do this movie in a year, whereas whereas it's a little bit more tricky with Guardians. It depends, because I mean. Um, you know, King Shark is is CG intensive. What we've seen of the the monster uh, at the end, yeah, that is uh, that is CG intensive. So that kind of stuff takes up time. But other than that, then yeah, if you if you cut some of that out, then maybe you can get it done for twenty four. So I mean, that like I said, it's no real surprise to me that James Gunn made an awesome goofball team movie. Like, you know, James Gunn should have written the A-Team. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, I would actually I would like to see his A-Team. He probably keeps most of that same cast. At least uh Yeah, face. I mean we know him we know him and him and Bradley Cooper work well together and Liam Neeson I can easily see him working with. Hmm. No, I kinda want that with that same cast, because I did like the A-Team. I might be that one guy, but I like it. Go, so. go go ahead. Go ahead. Tweet James Gunn. Dear sir, I need you to move on to an A-team movie next. He's a little bit busy right now. I might give him a little while. All right, Chad. So let's let's move on to some Marvel controversy that brewed on the internet this morning. This morning. Uh, there was an op-ed penned in The Guardian that said Robert Downey Jr. Eh, wouldn't have mattered. You know, he put Pierce Brosnan in the suit. Would have been fine. Still would have had the MCU. It would have been great. Your thoughts, sir? Because this is the, this is the James this is the James uh, Bond argument, right? That you could that anybody can fill the suit of Bond. Literally, George was it George Isby was literally just a Londoner who broke into the director's office and was like, "I should be Bond," and was given a Bond movie. Like, you know, there's always this idea of like um, anybody can be James Bond, except a woman, obviously. Um, but like, this is that argument, right? That the character is what matters and is relatable and open up enough, open enough to be to be identified with or, or shared, and it doesn't really matter who plays him. Well, so did you see my tweet about this? Because I did tweet about this one. I did. Okay, so in I in spirit, I kind of agree with that whole thing. Um, with, I'll go with Iron Man first. Um, the thing it was the 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 premise that I agree with is that the character itself, the Iron Man character from the comics, was is constructed in such a way that he, you know, who he is. He does have some distinguishing qualities, but he's kind of a like there's there's room to be a blank slate. There's room to add things. And that's what Robert Downey Jr. did. They brought him in and his his wit, his sarcasm. Iron Man had some of that stuff. They didn't have it to this effect. And now 
it has affected the character so much that that's what he is in the comics. But before, you can you can pretty much mold him to whatever you wanted. So they could, in effect, they could have put somebody else in the suit. Now, I said, I don't know if we would be where we are now. I don't know if we'll be here if it was someone other than Robert Downey Jr. But somebody else could have been Iron Man. Somebody else could have been successful. But it's pro- but it, it looks different. Um, and I think that's the same kind of thing with James Bond. You can put people, you can put people there. It'll be different, but you, I wouldn't say you can just put anybody there. They have to bring something to, to distinguish it, particularly with Iron Man. Well, the first time around to make it, to make it something to add to it. James Bond, there's so many layers there already. Uh, you can kind of pick from what you already have, but you can't just be a complete empty suit. You have to have something to to make it your own, so you can not at least be a one and done. But do you, um, do you really need to have something? They're all British. They're all male. They're all dapper. Like there's very much a type, and yes, the type of movies that have been done with with Bond are different as you go along the way. Certainly Tomorrow Never Dies is done differently than say, you know, Skyfall and Skyfall is done differently than Her Majesty's Secret Service and Her Majesty's Secret Service is different from uh, from Moonwrecker. Like, you know, they're all different, but they're all handsome British guy wowing women into bed. (laughs) Um, When I saw this, I immediately actually thought of a conversation that me and you have a lot. Um, which is that you feel uh, that we haven't gotten a great, true Batman. That we get great Batman, or we get great Bruce Wayne's. That we don't get both in one person. And I think that while you can, the character can be open to interpretation and open enough that you can do your own thing, I think it's the same thing with uh with Evans. You in order to have a great Captain America, you have to have a great Steve Rogers. And I think Downey Downey nailed the billionaire playboy, you know, philanthropist, which is the line from the movie, right? Mm-hmm. That's who he was able to pull off. And I'm not sure that if you insert Affleck or you insert you know, in you know, name popular '90s, act, popular 2000s actor here would be able to have that same kind. Could they have done the? Could they have done the witty fun stuff with with Gwyneth Paltrow? Sure. Could they have done the suit stuff? Sure. But would it have resonated with people as deeply and fundamentally as as it did? Because he was so great as both Iron Man and Tony Stark, and both are equally important to what it becomes later on. See, so the way I see it is because, so I think what you just said is like the key, the what's key to Iron Man that he's a billionaire playboy philanthropist. So I think the what has to happen is whoever you pick has to be like people have to be able to believe that that person is those three those three things. There's different ways to be those three things, but they have to buy them being those three things do you believe that uh ben affleck is those three things 
at any point in the Snyder Cut, at any point in the Snyder Cut or the regular Justice League Cut or Dawn of Justice, at any point do you buy him as, as a billionaire playboy philanthropist? Actually, yes. Um, and the like when you say that the the scene that comes to mind and i know it's the scene that is not going to come to anyone else's mind but it's the scene in bvs when he's he's hooking up his his little doodad to uh to lex's setup and mercy shows up and catches him and he does he plays like aloof like he's like i don't know where i'm at i'm trying to go to the bathroom i've had too many drinks i like those shoes to to me that like th- that captured what i think bruce wayne playing bruce wayne is like that's not who he really is but that's the thing that's the thing he's playing for everybody else like he's just this rich dude that doesn't he doesn't have to really know anything because he is rich and he can just do whatever he wants so he can show up in this one place he's clearly not supposed to be and say some completely off the wall you're not supposed to buy this garbage stuff and people buy it so to me that moment i was like okay this guy can be by bruce wayne if they can continue doing these things now they didn't do those they didn't finish doing those things in bvs but i saw that he could do it if given the stuff if given the material. Now, back, uh, Bruce Wayne is a billionaire playboy philanthropist, but he's a different kind than Iron Man. So if we were to put that goofy Ben Affleck playing the part that I, that scene that I just said as Iron Man, it doesn't work because it's he's the same thing, but he's, he's different because Bruce has to play parts. Tony is just Tony. And that's kind of the difference. So again, any you can put different people in these parts, but they you just have to pull it off. You just have to make it, those people have to make it believable that they're this role. So I don't think it's as easy as this overall article is making it sound, but I don't think we can just be stuck with just like one person ever doing these things. Well, I mean, it's in, but we also kind of have this situation where we've seen multiple Jokers, right? But like, they're all different. Mm -hmm. Like Ledger's interpretation of Joker is definitive, but it's also different than Nicholson's interpretation at the height of his power and fame and skills. You know, Um, it's the same thing with with Leto. Leto's version is completely different from from. you know, from he's and, you know, yet they're all Joker. They're all doing different things with the character and they're all dressed differently, but they're all the same character. They're all three different actors bringing their different talents to it. But for me, that's different because like, I see anybody else playing Joker. I don't, and I can see other people playing, you know, Batman. I've seen it done all my life, but there have been better people to do it than others. You know, Bale is a better Batman than he ever was a, a Bruce Wayne because he had like what one scene being a Bruce Wayne and across three movies, one scene. 
Um, they clearly wanted to steer away from that. It wasn't doesn't really strike me as something Nolan was very interested in. And then you know Clooney's not great. Val Kilmer is not great as either Batman or Bruce Wayne. Keaton embodies both, but he's asked to do completely different things between Batman and Batman Returns as far as what the character is asked to do. Um, so like I can get behind that, but I just I don't know that I will ever be able to see somebody else play Captain America other than Chris Evans. Like that that's just tied there. Like, you know, for a long time, and if you go back and you listen to some of the early Bonds talk, it was really hard to overcome Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. You know, and they all did do different things, but none of them have ever been Connery level popular. And, uh, you know, I think that's what's going to set this version of it apart, that this is going to be the seminal performance of Iron Man, that other people may end up coming through and doing it. I mean, we've got an Iron Heart series on the way, so they're going to ask a young lady to do something similar. And it's, uh, you know, going to be interesting to see how they pull it off. Well, so there's a, a couple of things like so Batman and all of his characters are I want to also almost like take them and put them to the side because one those characters have been they've been truly malleable through all of time because they've been the Batman 66 and you get Batman 89 that's completely different things and you get Ben Affleck's Batman who's more akin to the Dark Knight uh, returns Batman and Bale's Batman, who's like a hyper-realistic Batman. And it's the same characters through all those things, but they're all so completely different, but it works for that character. So, and I think part of that has to do with the fact that we've seen so many people play it, that it may be more easier to see Batman change from a goofball to a stone cold, almost, or in Affleck's case, a real life murderer um so poor dude yeah but uh so that's a little different just because of of the history there and how they've has been able to be used and all that um but then there's the whole thing of like a definitive version like you said and i a lot of times the first version tends to be the version that people stick with uh because that's the first time that's the first time they saw it but in some cases like with sean connery like with uh christopher reeve and i think like chris evans you see that person you see that person do it and they get what the character is so well that that's what people are going to stay associated with there's that and then because it's the first thing that people see that's their that shapes their image of it for all time and people won't move on from it. So it does make it harder for the people coming after. There will be people that come after everybody, but- Will there people... be people who come after Harrison Ford? Because um, the, man, the man's 80 and, and broke his foot and is still sobbling around on set on crutches. He just I'm... he just needs to finish that fedora and that, that bullwhip one more time. One more time, Chad. I mean, there should be, and there probably will, but I mean, this is, this is going to probably be our last time seeing Harrison Ford, and eventually we'll get other Indiana Jones, and it'll be somebody else. The only other person to fill the role is River Phoenix. I mean, there's it really well. He did, but we always forget that TV show that I never watched, but people seem to like. Um, and I don't know who that kid was that did it. Is but. that 
is is that available on the plus? It no. should be at some point. I don't know because it's not now. I don't know if it will be because while wow, Indiana Jones is Lucasfilm, uh, Paramount, I, I think, still has the rights to all the early stuff because Indiana Jones isn't on Disney Plus; it's on Paramount Plus. So I don't know how that works. Well, it's on, no, series. it's not even on. Par- it's not on Paramount Plus. It's on Netflix. Uh, is it still on Netflix? It's still on Netflix. It's it's supposed to go to Paramount Plus after that. It's it's a Paramount thing. So I don't know what the rights are for the uh, for the show. That is something I have to remember to look for later. But uh, uh, available on Amazon uh, Amazon Prime Video. Uh, but it you got to rent it or or buy it. Included with Paramount Plus. Okay, all right. I completely forgot about that, but yeah, that's that's good to know. Uh, um, oh. yeah, oh, and, and the the young kids' uh, kids' name. While you find that, I'll make my last point about uh, first and stuff. There's a generation of people that they're when they think of Spider-Man, the only person they think of is Tobey Maguire, and that goes to show you how being first can cement the thing because. Tom McGuire is the worst Spider-Man. And As we say on Spider-Man Day, which is just a made-up day, because there are many days that could be Spider-Man Day. It, it could be, but Tom McGuire is the worst, and I want y'all to know that. I will say it from the mountaintops. He is the worst. It's also the worst because Jazz Hands and Emo <laughs> emo Spidey and also making, uh, making Sony back up a truck to his house. When this is all over, I want to see... What, what they actually paid him to be in the movie and how long he's in it because again I can totally do without him and you could have paid Donald Glover to be miles from his universe and everybody would have been fine with it indeed so Chad this is where you take over driving the bus oh well, that means something something happened that I do not realize what the, 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 the panic in Chad's voice there was a trailer that you sent me I don't even remember what trailer I sent you. Oh, oh, never mind. Yeah, I do. Okay. All right. So, what? I think it was Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, I think it was Wednesday. We finally got a trailer for the next installment in the series of Ghostbuster films. We we got the trailer for Ghostbusters Afterlife, which will be hitting theaters and I think only theaters in November. And I sent that over to Brian because he is the Ghostbusters guy. And I want to know what he thought. So right now, I'm going to let you figure out what he thought. But Brian, how do you feel about those ghosts? Sir, I cried three times during this trailer. This was an emotional moment for me. Do you know why this was an emotional moment for me, Chad? Um, No, I'm going to let you tell me. Because I finally got Ghostbusters 3, man. I got Ghostbusters 3. It only took me 35 years and crazy Uncle Dan finally getting out of the way. But you know what? I got I got Ghostbusters 3, and I'm very happy about it. This trailer is phenomenal. It's awesome. It plays in all the nostalgia in all the right ways. They got the reveal of the of the baby uh, Stay Puft Marshmallow Man out of the way. That toy had already dropped. We knew that that was a thing. We didn't quite know why it was a thing or how it was a thing. Turns out they're kind of, you know, wanting to murder each other because they're <laughs> they're putting one of their one of their brethren on a graham cracker and melting him with a blowtorch. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we get the nostalgia plays, the the YouTube clip. Man, that is just an awesome way to bring this back. Like this girl is discovering things about her grandfather through YouTube, looking at the old clips of the old commercials. Um, I love Paul Rudd's enthusiasm in the trailer. I love, you know, his his tie to the kids and to the the daughter of uh, Ivan, which again, you you did the math, it's not exactly right, but who who at this point really matters. Um, the old car, the done the right way with Annie Potts, not just being some secretary answering a phone at a hotel, but actually being like, yeah, we got together, we got married, and your dad wasn't exactly the best homemaker. He could barely keep the lights on, but he was a great experimenter. And the connections back to Gozer, the shot, the shot of the ghost coming up out of the well, which eerily, like almost frame for frame, reminiscent of the shot of the ghost coming up out of the tower, uh, out of the, the tower in, in New York. Um, the fact that we know that all of the original players are back. And if what we saw with any pots is any indication, they're all going to play organic roles. They're going to be their, their people, which, you know, I like Beeg's Ghostbusters for what it is. It is Ghostbusters for a new generation. It is if a Ghostbusters movie had never been made, it would have been the hottest thing in the world. But like this is Ghostbusters 3. They are playing their roles 30 years later. They will more than likely actually reference the fact that Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver's characters had a kid named Oscar who got, you know, kidnapped by Ghost as a young child and nearly sacrificed. Uh, for the redemption of Go of uh, Ivan the Terrible from uh, from the painting. Um, yes, this is your reminder that Ghostbusters Two had a two dimensional villain for literally almost the entire movie. Yep. And they yeah. also made and they also made the Statue of Liberty walk. But um, like, I love that they're bringing everybody back and they're doing it the right way. And the story is about blending the old generation with the new generation and. And it's still empowering because it's a female at the heart of it. It's his granddaughter that that is figuring out how to how to find the the ghost holder. It's his granddaughter who's got the proton back at the end, trying to wrangle a slimer. Like it's his granddaughter doing these things. You know, the mother starts out the trailer by saying, "I wish you get into trouble," and there's still time. Well, you know, here she is breaking out, doing her own thing, following her her granddad's lead. Like. He, he, she very much has that young Egon look to her with the glasses and the curly hair and it, it kind of works. Um, but like this made me over the moon excited because like, like they're going to acknowledge Ghostbusters too. They're going to obviously acknowledge the original movie. Um, like this, this literally feels like a son honoring his father's legacy, which is exactly what it is. It also feels like a Ghostbusters movie made by a Ghostbusters fan for Ghostbusters fans. And I love Paul Feig, and Paul Feig liked the movie and cared deeply about the movie, but what he was making was his own thing. It was not supposed to be wholly revenant to what came before. It was supposed to be something different and new and bold. And it was all those things, but it wasn't, it wasn't Ghostbusters 3. And I know that the old folk cameos were not his idea. 
I know Sony made him put in, put those in in reshoots because of all the all the noise that was going on at the time. But like, you can't have those people in that movie call it Ghostbusters and just have them be completely different individuals. Um, I'm also glad that Bill Murray with the singer at the end. It appears Bill Murray is not playing a ghost, which for a long time was something that hampered the development of a Ghostbusters three was allegedly Bill Murray's desire to be a ghost and not actually be living. So, you know, I, I'd love for somebody to pay Dan Aykroyd to come on a podcast and just sit, just sit and talk about all of those writing trips up in the Hamptons with just him and him and Ivan Reitman and, uh, Oh, what's uh, what's the guy's name who played Egon? Uh, that passed away. Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis. Yep. Yeah. Um, the director of Bedazzled. Um, sitting around with just Dan and and Harold and Ivan, just sitting up in the Hamptons every summer trying to crack the story. I'd love some to hear some of the ideas. I'd love to hear some of the unproduced screenplay ideas that they were they were bouncing around that were never good enough for for Bill. Um, but this made me cry. It. it very few trailers have ever touched me in the emotional way this trailer did. And it's because it's something I've wanted for a very long time and it's something I'm going to get. And yeah, you know, now I just hope they don't do a bait and switch with me and give me something different. Oh, no, I think, uh, I think you're safe on, on, on that end. Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't have the attachment to Ghostbusters, particularly the movies as you do, but uh, you know, it was, it was, it, it's felt, like a coherent um, continuation of what came before, and it had plenty of nods to what came before, with the uh, the Gozer dogs and and Stay Puff and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, it piqued my interest. I, you know, I'm going to see it, but uh, uh, I just wanted to see what a Ghostbuster person thought. And uh, it's also interesting to me that kids drew the uh, Stranger Things comparison. Not just because of not just because of Finn Wolfhead being in the movie, but just the overall vibe of it of the town feeling very Hawkins-ish. Yeah, that's what I lost my train of thought. That's where I was going. It does feel like Stranger Things. And again, if you are going to if you're trying to get people into a franchise, if you're trying to build a franchise, like continue to build a franchise, you need new people in it. So Give the young people something that they're familiar with, which is Stranger Things. If you stick to the Stranger Things aesthetic, even if they don't know Ghostbusters, they're familiar with that. That should pique their interest, give them their foot in the door, and then you can introduce them to the world of Ghostbusters and can continue that way. I mean, I'm just, I'm just over the moon. I really am. Uh, this, was, <laughs> this, this was really great. Uh, the on, the only other thing that I wanted to add was, uh, you know, this is directed by Ivan Reitman's son, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Um, do you know that Ivan Reitman produced a whole bunch of movies, including some that Harold Ramis directed? Mm-hmm. I just got finished watching an Ivan Reitman. Uh, so I had a, a Ivan Reitman directed movie in Evolution um, a couple of nights ago. Tonight... I watched a Ivan Reitman produced movie. You know what movie I watched? Which one? A movie that was directed by a guy that you love. A guy that's very popular and very hot right now. He uh, he made a film called The Joker. 
Oh, <laughs> uh, what Todd Phillips movie? Road Trip. Todd, well, he did Road Trip. His first directorial effort, and he was discovered and given his entrance into comedy by the great Ivan Reitman. All right. Uh, I do appreciate Road Trip. I haven't seen that in a long time. Oh, uh, it made me forget how good Tom Green is. Tom Green was great at physical comedy when he had balls. <laughs> uh, I never liked Tom Green, but you know he was fine in that movie. The little bit. Yeah, I mean, there. you will you will never be able to make a movie like that again because there were cell phones, there were pay phones, there were landlines, and the whole thing revolves around trying to get a VHS tape back. <laughs> yeah, that, so many old movies. The the their premises can't be done today just because of the advent of cell phones and everybody. Yeah, I mean, like the whole thing is she calls in a bomb, a bomb threat to like, you know, buy them three hours so he get back from Austin in time. Like you could not do that now. They would track the phone number and you'd immediately be arrested. Yeah, I think Road Trip just turned twenty here recently too. So yeah, two thousand. Yeah. Yeah, that's so. And there you go. Feel oh. Yeah, next uh, next one up on the docket for me is Euro Trip because it just dropped on Paramount Plus today. Man, I haven't seen that one in a long time either. Yeah, I just wish Michelle Trackenberg would have kept working as an actress. Which one was she? She was the female twin. And I gotta look it up. And she was also in Harriet the Spy. Uh, I think I know. I think I know. It's it, it's been so. Okay, I'm looking at her. And it's not ringing the bell, cause. But I know I've seen I've seen it. I just can't place her right now, cause I'm old. All right, Chad. So, uh, Jungle Cruise, as we said, uh, debuted with. Um, let's get the number right here. I'm like thirty-two, somewhere around there. Jungle Cruise debuted with thirty-four. Mm-hmm. Everything else pretty much made five to six million dollars. Um, we've got. Coming up this weekend, the Suicide Squad. What is your what is your number for Suicide Squad? Keeping in mind that high watermark right now is 80 million by Black Widow, and the second high watermark is 70 million by Fast Eight. Or Fast Nine, sorry. Now the difference between those movies and this one is that it is Warner Brothers, so that means it's on HBO at the same time for no extra cost, which will probably mitigate some of its potential box office earnings so with the word about yeah with the word of mouth i would imagine that it would do it, it should do black widow or better numbers so pushing 100 but taking hbo max into account um i'm going to say yeah like 45 50 I will say 75 and split the difference between the two movies. I mean, I hope it's closer to 75 just because I think it's going to be a better movie. It'll probably be one of the best Warners has put out this year. But the whole the whole HBO Max thing is going to, uh, that and it's rated R, is going to eat into box office profits. So, um, so Chad, who's next to follow her Scarlet's lead in Sue? Emma Stone's mulling her, her options. Um, I personally think that if this goes south, then Dune 
doesn't end up being the awards player that they think it should be, that Timothy Clement's going to end up suing. And for that matter, Deep Bienville may end up suing because he's so pissed off that, like, you know, his masterwork that he spent years making is going to end up on a streaming service. I think it's, so it's going to have to be somebody like Scarlett that's a major player enough to get enough back in money that is significant. Like a Robert Downey Jr. kind of thing with Avengers. He made over 50 with these Avengers movies because of his back end deals. So I would I would think it had to be somebody like that that would really want to sue. So Scarlett Johansson makes sense. Uh, this is her first solo movie. I'm sure the back end deals were fairly lucrative. It makes sense. Emma Stone kind of makes sense, but the thing, the thing is, Scarlett's not going back to Marvel. You know, this was her swan song, so uh, she can she can do this and not feel any any kind of way because she's not going back. Which just to point out, she's suing Disney and not Marvel, and it's there is a distinction, and her lawsuit is only for Disney, so that should tell you where all the bad feelings are. Emma can do that, but from I th- I think I heard that uh, they're really trying to push forward with a um, a Cruella two, and she's a producer on these things too, so that might prohibit her from doing it because she Disney can make it right to her other ways going forward. Uh, I don't know if anybody else from Disney would do it because if they we're going to do it. They've probably done it by now. And Jungle Cruise is the last one right now to go day and date. And The Rock has already said, he said uh, today that he's not going to sue them. He, he's, he supports their decision to do day and date because of the situation we're in. Uh, I don't think Emily Blunt's going to do it because they already went through that with The Quiet Place. So and they, but they did it ahead of time. So if she was going to do anything, it would have been ahead of time. So I think Disney won. If they get past Emma Stone, they're, they're fine. Now, the rest of these places, I do think Dune is a big thing, and, but I think it'll be from, uh, from the director, from uh, Denis Villeneuve, as opposed to the actors, because he's really adamant against them going day and date. He wants it to be solely on the big screen. And I completely understand that. But it's been, it'll be 10 months since they made that announcement of day and date. If they haven't smoothed it out by now, but then again, I mean, Marvel didn't, uh, Disney didn't uh, smooth it out with Scarlet, but now you've seen people are disgruntled and are trying and doing lawsuits it behooves Warner Brothers to get be proactive to make sure this doesn't happen. But if they don't, I think that's the next big guy to do it. Other than that, I don't think I don't think there's anybody big enough to, to pull this kind of move. Ryan Reynolds no. c- could, but his movie is going to be solely in theaters. I don't think anybody else is like fist to bill. No, I, I would say the same. And Clement... Uh, has already been pacified because he was given the Willy Wonka job. So, like, you know, Warner's is keeping him him happy that way. Um, but, yeah, man. I also don't know how long you can wait on this 
um, Scarlett waited, what, through the third box office week um, to file her lawsuit. Um, I don't know how long you can wait on this because, like, if Bianville's just going to say, well, you know, I would have gotten Oscar consideration if you would have done theatrical only, that's not going to be a good enough legal argument. Um, and the other thing, too, is if Bianville ends up suing, that's great. But Warners can walk into a, a, a courtroom and say, excuse me, Your Honor, um, they've tried, we've tried to make this movie two other times. Um, one of them with David Lynch bombed. The other one didn't even make it to production. Like this is deemed an unfilmable novel. Like there's no definitive way to tell how popular or box officely successful the film would have been had it been theatrical only. Like, you know, prove it. How do you, how do you definitively prove the losses in that case when other when the film has been made before and has not made a ton of money, and there was no global pandemic in the eighty in the late eighties or. I don't know. And, this is and Bienville's only worked with Warner's on on all of his major films. So do, does he really want to go the Nolan route and 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 uh, you know and depart from that? I also know that uh, the head of Netflix this week came out and said, "I'm going to do my best to get Chris Nolan to make his next movie for me. I don't care what it costs." But I, I heard that and. I find that kind of amusing because he's throwing like Nolan is effectively throwing a hissy fit because of streaming. Uh, again, I understand you want it on the big screen, but kind of not possible. Warner Brothers needs to make money, but for him to so him for him to walk away from from Warner to go to to Netflix, because truth be told, I mean Paramount the studios have money, but they don't have. The streamers have more money to do these kind of things now, particularly Netflix, particularly Amazon. So it just feels like you're being a little bit hypocritical, particularly because Netflix has been, while they do do theatrical releases, they only do it for awards consideration. They're not big on doing it. Like they're not, it doesn't seem like they're interested in being, in doing big theatrical releases and his whole thing is I want big theatrical releases. So I, I'm curious how that's all going to play out. Now, Villeneuve, uh, I don't, he doesn't have the same pull as Nolan, but Dune is a big deal. So his name is out there more and his last few things have been really good. So does he walk away from orders? That's, that's a good, that's a good question. He's just not as proven as Nolan. So, I mean, if he does it and flops his next his next go round, he kind of, he's he's kind of stuck. Whereas if Nolan does it, Warner Brothers would gladly take him back. Be interesting. It definitely would be interesting, especially considering like Nolan's anti-streaming stance. Yet, streaming is the only place you're going to be able to find an Alfonso Cuarón or Martin Scorsese or uh, you know an Inarritu movie now. Yeah. Um, you know, that's just just they're, they're, they're curating they're, they're buying our tour directors and giving them financial freedom and flexibility they don't have at the studio level anymore and so they're becoming the home for those kind of guys and you know if no one wants to take his, take his talents to the home of the new creative you know that's probably where he needs to go yeah uh, he's just going to have to make concessions and we'll see if, if he's willing to do that 
All right, Chad. Well, that'll about do it for this week's podcast. You can keep up with this podcast by following us on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger Fan. And I'm at The Mets Theory. Thank you very much. And horns down. (laughs) Always. So, Chad. Chad? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, are you Team Miles or are you Team Brennan? <laughs> team Max um, or Team Brennan? Brennan. And and your logic there, sir? Um, if he doesn't get hurt, we're not even having this discussion. Right. But you could say the same thing about Tom Brady. We're not having that discussion if – Drew Bledsoe doesn't have nearly have a collapsed lung. And I'm all for not having that discussion either. But <laughs> uh, if you just, uh, granted, I know Florida's defense is better than the, at least two of the ones that Miles faced. But um, Brendan was thrown for like 340 over three games. Uh, Max, on the other hand, like maybe a buck 50. And I grant granted, I know that's because he's a freshman, he had to pull some of that stuff back. But if Miles' defense has the post for like two drives, he's three and oh. We're not having this discussion. But alas, Bo Pelini was your defensive coordinator, and uh your defense, even though it had two of the best cornerbacks in the country, could not stop anyone. So yeah, so that's my yeah. Uh, that's my that's my rationale. I just think I think Miles is just better. I think I think Max is good and will be good. Uh, he's better than I thought he would have been going, not even going into, but in the middle of last season when he wasn't, when he kept getting beat out for the starting job. Uh, yeah, I just think Brandon is better. But apparently Max is like wowing everybody, which I find really hard to believe. Um, I don't think this is a situation where it was Burrow and, and um, when it was Burrow and Brennan that, you know, everybody knew it was going to be Burrow because you had promised him the starting job when he came from Ohio State. It was part of the original the original talks when they were at Mike Anderson's eating crawfish. And Lord knows that worked out for everybody. But um, I don't think that this is a, a Anthony Jennings, Brandon Harris situation. Um, I don't think it's a Danny Utling, Brandon Harris situation. Like, I don't think there's a determined – a predetermined outcome. I think this is a true, a true competition in the, in the strictest sense. And the thing is that the game has changed and evolved so much. Um, by the way, you're editing this and moving it all to the back of the podcast, but um, <laughs> like the game has changed and evolved so much. Alabama's won multiple national championships now with true freshman quarterbacks who went on to start multiple games for them across multiple seasons. Gone are the days of like, you know, Matt Flynn holding out and waiting for Jamarcus to finish so he could have his one year to prove himself and then go sign with the Packers and then Seahawks and then never be heard from again because, you know, Russell Wilson. But, like, those days are gone. You don't wait. The argument for me for Max is what I've heard is essentially Brandon can lead us to better things this year than Max can. And my argument is, why not let Max lead us 
this year and be better ready to lead us in year two and year three and year four and even year five if he gets that far where you know the team's just allegedly supposed to keep getting better because the recruiting in the state of Louisiana is supposed to be getting better and you're supposed to be building the program back after the depletion of last year so let Max be your guy to build around and whatever happens this year happens like you're not going to go five and five again you're not going to go eight and three again you're probably a nine or ten win team this year if you get really lucky you can compete with Bama for the West like uh, I think the football power index right now has them at an 11 percent possibility to win the West so like Go out there, start the kid, let him grow, and have him be ready so that year two and year three and year four, you can lead it. He can lead us to multiple SEC championships the way that, you know, McCarron did, the way that, you know, uh, uh, Jalen Hurts did, the way that Tua did. Like, that's that's what happened. And my counter to that is he can still all that, do all that riding the pine this year. It's not like he didn't start at all um, last year. So he has some. He no, has some but, then you're, but then you're into the Brandon Harris situation where Brandon Harris had the what? The one game in Auburn and then a couple of games he came in from up up duty in the blowout against Mississippi State. And like he showed flashes, but he was never able to develop that. And then he, you know, by the time you did give him the starting job, he wasn't ready because he was so shell-shocked and just dismayed from the from the year before like there's something to be said about continuing the pattern of success that he had in those three starts on to the next year instead of okay you had three good starts now you're not going to start a football game for another year well okay well first i'll say if he beats out miles i i can't argue it if, if he actually chose the stuff to beat him out if we're going to put him there, you know, to build to the future. Now, Miles beats him out. Miles is better. And it's he'll be different from Brandon Harris in the fact that Harris came in in that Mississippi State game and almost brought him back to win. So the crawfish that, miracle. Yeah. Yeah. So that forced them to play him at Auburn when he was not ready. And that shocked him. And that, like, I think – that game is the key to him never like really clicking, clicking all the way. Max didn't have that. They threw him in against Alabama when nothing was working and he got destroyed like everybody else. And to his credit, he came back and actually did show progress going forward. So I don't think he's going to be the same as Brandon Harris, if that's the case, but whoever went like whoever they name as a starter and it's clear like that person won, fine. But to me, Miles doesn't get hurt. We're not having this discussion. Miles, if Miles is 100% in the spring game, we're probably not having this discussion. You watch the spring game, at worst, you can say they came out looking about even. And everybody would tell you that Miles was still getting over their injury. So 100% Miles is better than Max right now. It'll be interesting to see. 